This is Power and Consequence. Welcome back to Power and Consequence, a podcast about liars, grifters, demagogues, and opportunists who continue to push us all closer to civil war while amassing unbelievable wealth and power. Uh, I need to get me one of those rage jets. Uh, but right now, let's introduce the team for today. Uh, joining us again is Joe. I'm doing this in random order. Joe, our resident in-house Christianity uh, specialist and theologian. How's it going, Joe? Be blessed, be blessed. <laughs> Blessings and riches. And uh, joining us again, obviously, is Jelani. What's going on, Jay? How's it going? Praise be. I have to add in myself. Mm-hmm. Praise him, praise him. And I am uh, Matt, as always, the one who is uh, morally ambivalent, but um, explicitly not religious. And that's okay, because uh, that's what I have you guys for, my subject matter experts. Uh I'm definitely going to need a drink. I've got myself a nice bear bottle brew oh, today. So, Lahayam. Today. today I'm Ruby Grapefruit of the Claw. Oh, today I'm complete trash because I have a bang. Bang? Okay. <laughs> okay. I Isn't like that it. one that has an energy drink in it as well? Uh, not, not the alcohol version. The alcohol version is just a hard seltzer. Uh, oh, okay. okay. So, Four Loco messed it up for everyone. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Those are the, the beginning of every bad story uh, starts with that one, with that drink. Except Nothing this one. like the green vomit that comes from. Oh, God. You got, <laughs> or a loco. Have you guys ever I'm tried? I'm sorry I messed up yeah. your segue, but I, I. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, um, this has nothing to do with anything, but have either of you guys ever tried um, absinthe? Yes. Yes. <laughs> do you remember I, any of it? Yes. Oh really? Oh, okay, so you were able to control yourself. Good for you. I can't speak for <laughs> I can't speak for everyone who is currently talking right at this exact second, but uh, it's a trip. I've never tried it, but uh, yeah, I'm not really interested in blacking out. Just never just, done it. And- I, I mean, you can you can if you want like an equivalent, you can mix like tequila and quaaludes. That would probably do it. I I, <laughs> I don't recommend you do that, but. Yeah, not really my speed. Or anyone listening. Don't do that. Uh, So anyways, yes, this is the promised part three of three on our little mini-series on Christian nationalism. Just, you know, a real very, very quick glimpse at this topic that, depending on who you ask, spans decades or centuries. Um, You know, uh, we... (sighs) I I, I put I postponed this last one because I wanted to do a lot of research to make sure I'm presenting it correctly. And as I was telling you guys before we were recording, I just I kind of gave up trying to understand. It's just it, it depends who you ask. Like I There's wanted to get to the beginning. Lot, and it's a long history. It, it is. And depending on on who you're reading, it's there's a different answer. Like a lot of the conventional wisdom is um, you know, the the insertion of Christian God language in the public sphere was, you know, because of the Cold War, we were combating communism. There are other schools of thought that say this actually began as a response to the New Deal. You know, uh, corporations were like, we're going to co-opt the language of God, which was swinging against us. And we're going to do that in our favor to fight back against progressive economic policy, which and to an extent, they were actually very successful at that. 
all about the money at the end of the day, right? Dude, you, that's 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 the whole episode. We could just skip doing an episode. That's it. <laughs> Start starts with the New Deal, but of course, you know what corporations hate the most? Communism, because that means they have to share their their wealth, right? I, I know, right? Exactly. Or at the very least, they they don't believe that they're going to be guaranteed the same privilege that the current system gives them. I mean, if they could, they could call it whatever they want, but as if they think they're not going to get their share, then it's not good. Everything's socialism or communism or something. Exactly. It's easy to throw labels. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's exactly what this guy who we're going to look at is going to do. So, you know, before we dig into it, I just want to check in real quick with everybody. Uh, Jelani, how's the world looking to you these days, man? Uh, I mean... There's there's a few you're talking about current events, right? Yeah, just the world. How's the world looking to you? Have you have you have you invested in a bunker yet? Uh no, but I'm really thinking about uh trading in my gas guzzler <laughs> for another electric vehicle. I do have one electric vehicle, but I need one that can hold more than uh two people. Uh because inflation is is kind of just sitting there in the back of the room. Um and then I can't help but bring out uh, our friend Mr. Kyle Rittenhouse and everything that's going on there. I haven't been paying close attention because I already know how this turns out because of where he is. Um, but yeah, it's still interesting to see what happens and, and pretty much what it does to uh, the psychology of the country and, and what happens after. I, I'm very concerned that his possible I dare say probable acquittal at this point, at least on the most serious charges is just going to turn him into like one of those, those central figures. A, martyr. Of, a, a what? A martyr. We, oh, oh, that's I kind of said, been our, uh, our theme throughout this series. It's Christian martyrs. I mean, for him to be a martyr, he would have to actually suffer real consequences. Um, <laughs> but cancel culture is its own consequence, okay? Yeah, He's going to be a victim of cancel culture. The consequences the you get fucking rich, okay? I mean, ask Dave Chappelle, <laughs> you know, who is quote-unquote canceled, right? Yeah, if, if you know how to deal with it, then you're good. And, and yeah, I, I have a feeling that he's going to have a team who's going to play this up. Uh, and, and even if you know, by some crazy thing, he he does get convicted on all charges. Uh, yeah, like it, he's gonna be the martyr, and people are gonna send him money and all sorts of things. Uh, and it's very much connected to the topic that we're talking about. Oh yeah, it it, it all plays in together, you know, and that's that's. That's unfortunately the point that nobody wants to address. Well, you know, we know about it, but we just don't like thinking about it because it makes us sad, you know, or <sighs> Joe, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing quite all right. Although uh, it's been quite interesting for me to watch my own tribe, you know, considering seeing how the term evangelical has definitely shifted and uh, Pew Research recently came out with how... Uh, even the term evangelical has shifted from being a theological, you know, term like something that some or theological identity to mo much more of a political identity. Where now you have Muslim evangelicals, you know, when it used to be a 
Christian identity, right? And just kind of seeing how, you know, that's kind of morphed into the whole QAnon thing and getting to watch, you know, my tribe wait in Dallas for another dead man to rise, except he hasn't been there for, or been dead for three days. He's been dead for what? Th- almost we, 20 we years? We need to have a conspiracy of the week award or something like that. Because yeah, that, yeah. seriously. I, I love, I love that one. <laughs> that, I mean, yeah, if we can just stay sidetracked for a minute here. Well, it's everyone listening. We'll get to the topic at hand i promise but this is too good (laughs) for those of you thank you for bringing that up jay for those of you who don't know the latest and joe for for really bringing this up and jay for kind of hammering on this for those of you who don't know uh, a small contingent not as small as i'd like uh gathered in dallas uh recently at at uh, daily plaza to uh commemorate the resurrection of sorts of john f kennedy jr who some believed was going to show up like the messiah himself and announced that he was going to be the running mate of Donald Trump in 2024. Now, obviously that didn't happen, and some of these people are refusing to physically leave the area, convinced he's going to show up. Did you hear about oh. how that 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 are changed they still there throughout now? the day? No, 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 no. It changed th- it changed throughout the day. So what ended up happening was because I think the time was supposed to be like at twelve twenty nine, like this this time that JFK was actually shot. Of course, of course. Um, oh, and some believe that, that JFK is still alive himself. Yeah, even though he'd be like 104 or something like that. Yeah, the Zapruder yeah. film was fake news, guys. Yeah. But um, anyway, so yeah, so they ended up just having a reciting of the Pledge of Allegiance. And then most of those people ended up going to the Rolling Stones concert that was in Dallas that night. And now the new theory is that the guitarist for the Rolling Stones is actually JFK Jr. in disguise. Uh, this just keeps getting better and better. Exactly. I love these that. people. <laughs> I would love to know what drugs these people are on and where I could get some. No, 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 exactly. Joe. The the problem here is the lack of pharmaceuticals. I promise you. I. Oh, very true. I, you very know, true. on a not on a more serious note, that is hilarious. But I, I tweeted earlier that like this right here. This is seriously an example of like why seriously we need universal health care and we need universal access to mental health. Like no Can seriously I snap to that. And I, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. You know, it's and it's easy. It's easy for us to be like you fucking idiots, and I will. You know, privately and maybe to their faces if they piss me off enough. But it's like ultimately, I got I have to hang back a little and be like, no, 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 these people are irrational. No rational person believes this, you know. And when I'm done laughing, I'm like, maybe we should advocate for a system that can help people like this, you know. Just just saying, just saying that. But that's about as far as my compassion goes. And then I go back to laughing at them. So I obviously still need work. <laughs> so yeah, JFK is back. JFK Jr. is going to be back and and that's the state of american political discourse a bunch of people sitting around in dallas waiting for the messiah but while we wait we might as well uh finish off this little series on christian nationalism so you know i i just i just want to be clear with everyone like again i i wanted this to be more in depth and i just got frustrated so i i chose a topic i chose an event i chose a subject that i think for the most part, kind of sums up, you know, the 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 rise of the Christian right, you know, the the Christian nationalism movement, such as it was in the 1970s and and beyond. Um, but just to recap, uh, just to be clear, you know, everything we've covered up to now, you know, we're we're gonna look at somebody in the past, right? But I think I'm comfortable summing up 
the current sort of climate of Christian nationalism rhetoric uh, with a little callback to our good friend, Florida pastor, Greg Locke. So for those of you who didn't remember this little ditty, um, Greg Locke made this declaration last summer about public uh, figures. And I'm sure that uh, he certainly is never going to inspire an act of violence with these words. God's about to bring the whole house down, ladies and gentlemen. These bunch of sex trafficking mongrels are about to be exposed. These bunch of pedophiles in Hollywood are going to be exposed for who they are. I don't care what you think about fraudulent Sleepy Joe. He's a sex trafficking, demon-possessed mongrel. He's of the left. He ain't no better than the Pope and Oprah Winfrey and Tom Hanks and the rest of that wicked crowd. God is going to bring the whole house down. I said he's going to bring the whole house down. He's going to burn the whole thing to the ground. He's going to expose all these bunch of pedophiles. I'm telling you, he's going to expose Kamala Harris for the Jezebel demon that she is. Yeah, yeah. So I just got to say, though, it's like with the, with all the, you know, everything else that these crazy people do, you know, it's a lot of projection. So if he's projecting all of this out there, it's like, what does that mean that he's doing? Like if he's accusing all these other people of all this other shit, right? <laughs> I, I try not to think about that part, but. I would like to bring up again, I, I just really enjoy this guy's energy. Like, I get it. Like, like I said before, <laughs> he's the DMX of evangelicals. He just brings this energy. and You just can't help but move when he talks. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, you know, obviously we are, if we ever shift over to, to video only, you know, you guys will get a better feel. But I was, I was rocking out just now. I, I, I'm not on TikTok, but I might create a TikTok account just to remix this guy, you know? I think I think uh, like auto tune, you know, he'd be great for it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and, and you know, obviously we we brought this guy up on a previous episode, but that's that's where we're at. He's on the more wacky end of things. He's he's he is less effective in terms of um, fundraising, um, but he's more dangerous in terms of being a stochastic terrorist. The shit he says, like stuff like that in the aggregate, will probably get somebody hurt one day. You know. Um, so with that in mind, you know, just remember that uh, guys like this, they, they come in a few different flavors, especially when we start going back in time, like we're going to today. Right. I mean, uh, you know, if, for example, with Greg Locke, you notice that anti-Catholic dig there, you know, he's, he's like, you know, he's no better than the Pope, you know, but there's some like, there's some like Alex Jones globalist kind of conspiracy talk that is associated with that. And I don't want to drill down on that today. Um, but the point is. You know, this rhetoric is resonating with people who believe that there is an existential threat against them. You know, wherever they see themselves in the social hierarchy, because it gets a little muddled. Um, some believe that there are shadowy figures and conspiracy behind, I don't know, Joe Biden's plan to, 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 to marginally, vaguely improve people's lives. And frankly, he's failing at that. But different different conversation. You know, I, I just want to go on record saying I'm thoroughly disappointed that uh, the the that those bills got watered down as much as they did, but I understand what he's up against. All hail King Mansion, right? Oh, that motherfucker! At least you can blame like Christian nationalists for their their dogma and their beliefs. Like Mansion, it's just it's all money, you know. He doesn't even have like the 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 dodge of being like, oh, it's part of my religion. No, dude, you're just you sold us all out, like all of us. But yeah, and the paper trail 
isn't even that deep. No, it's not, you know, he literally runs from his yacht to his, his, what is Maserati or something? Or is his <laughs> yeah, Ferrari? It was a, it was a Maserati. Which, to me, it's just a weird card for a politician to be driving anyway. Uh, but I guess he has a yacht too. So he must think he's on this, uh, you know, hundred millionaire. Well, I guess he is a multimillionaire. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, his, his whole kickbacks. Yeah. Reportedly his net worth has increased by the millions since he became a Senator, which is worrying because your senatorial salary is $174,000 a year. So whatever. <sighs> With all that said, we must ask ourselves, how did we get here guys? Um, and as I was saying earlier, that's kind of a hard question to answer. You know, like we said earlier, some people, as far as the origin of the, you know, the, the contemporary Christian national movement in America, uh, some say it was the Cold War and fight against communist expansion, you know, like the invention of the concept of Judeo-Christian, you know, which is, is, is a relatively new concept, you know, because Americans, like the rest of the world, we were all about that anti-Semitism, let me tell you, you know. Uh, and things like changing the Pledge of Allegiance to include under God. You know, that's a pretty basic example. You know, and as I said, others can may... You, t- can you repeat that again slowly? Because I don't think a lot of people know that the Pledge of Allegiance was changed oh. <laughs> to include under God relatively yeah. recently. Yeah, yeah. And in mid twentieth century Cold War, we put it we started putting it on our money, you know. And that's a direct result of Billy Graham and his influence on the Eisenhower administration. Oh, Billy Graham. Wait, I mean, you know, I mean what's there what's there to say? I mean, salt of the earth Billy Graham. It's not like he contributed to any policies that negatively affected the people that were constantly getting fucked over for basically all of American history, you know? Totally no evidence that he did all those things that I just said. <laughs> ah, sarcasm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, as, you know, and speaking of Eisenhower, uh, you know, Eisenhower and Billy Graham and that era, that was a reaction in part, uh, a concerted action, some say, to the New Deal. FDR and his allies, right? They kind of revived this old-timey social gospel language, right? To sort of justify what they were creating, you know? And it's there's actually a really cool book I've been reading, Taking Back God for America. And uh, this is uh, this is from there. I'll quote from there. Uh, quote, The original proponents of the social gospel back in the late 19th century had significantly reframed Christianity as a faith concerned less with personal salvation and more with the public good. They rallied popular support for progressive era reforms in the early 20th century before fading from public view in the conservative 1920s. But the economic crash and the widespread suffering of the Great Depression brought them back into vogue. When Roosevelt launched the New Deal, an array of politically uh, liberal clergymen championed his proposal for a vast welfare state as simply the Christian thing to do. His administration's efforts to regulate the economy and address the excesses of corporate America were singled out for praise. Catholic and Protestant leaders hailed the ethical and human significance of New Deal measures, which they said merely incorporated into law some of the social ideas and principles for which our religious organizations have stood for many years. The head of the Federal Council of Churches, for instance, claimed the New Deal embodied basic Christian principles such as the significance of daily bread, shelter, and security. So that was written by Kevin Cruz, by the way. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, he, he makes a good case. Cruz does, you know, he, he spends the rest of that book. I recommend anybody interested, check it out. Um, uh, One Nation Under God. And uh, oh, did I say it was uh, Taking Back God for America? Sorry, I'm I'm combining two books. That was a different book. This is Cruz's um, book. And, uh, you know, he spends the rest of it uh, arguing about uh, corporate interests, uh, sort of propagating the myth of Christian America, right, as a vehicle to make more money through regulation favorable to business, which shocker, right? So. With that being said, right, I said, we're going to focus on one guy and one speech that I think really sums up this whole movement, uh, particularly in the late 70s, early 80s. So, uh, Joe, I I know you're a little familiar, more familiar with this. So I'm going to start with Jelani. Jelani, what do the names Jerry Falwell or Moral Majority mean to you? Um, I just know that Falwell was uh, a radio, radio guy. (laughs) Uh, and I think, did he have a TV show as well where he was yelling at people? Uh, um, I believe it was called the Old Time Gospel Hour, if I'm not mistaken. Old Time Gospel Hour. That sounds like something that came on at like 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, that that's probably the extent. Uh, like, I feel like my parents did a good job of sheltering me from some of the, the worst parts of this country that during the, the 80s. When I was growing up. Well, well, you'll be pleased to know that uh, Jerry Falwell, not only does he represent the worst parts of the 80s in the United States, he also represented the worst parts of the 70s, 60s, and 50s. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. And uh, Joe, wh- wh- what do you know about the great Dr. Reverend uh, Jerry Falwell Sr.? Well, he was the founder of Liberty University, a school that I almost went to. I was very interested in going to back in the day, um, which actually originally started off as a segregation school, funny enough. Um, so let's let's start with that kind of... That's kind of what, where Fowl... What's a segregation school? Is it a school that uh, segregation? segregation or? <laughs> it, it's, it, it's essentially a private school that doesn't allow black people to come, only white people and, oh, and so it's something that post, got created after post-segregation. Post okay, okay. Yeah, but then obviously because the term segregation school doesn't really do too well in today's economy, mm-hmm. they just started calling them private schools. So Yeah, um, and they're less yeah. obvious about what they do. Yeah, yeah, and then he was, and then Falwell was also a big champion uh, of the moral majority, which stems from Nixon's silent majority, right? And it was basically supposed to be all based off of these family values, again, coming from Billy Graham and James Dobson with focus on the family, so all those fun things. I just want to mention, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, (laughs) which just goes to show how good of a job my parents did at sheltering me because this is like the heartland of you know southern segregationists and uh evangelicals who were just always yelling at you uh and i went to a a catholic uh middle school 
And Funny enough, Nashville damage. isn't actually that bad. Really, the big hubs would be like Dallas, Tulsa, and Lynchburg, Virginia, where Liberty hmm. University is. So well, I'm just saying, uh, Lynchburg yeah. is very telling of the name. <laughs> I, dude, seriously, like not the. It's the first thing that everybody notices. Put in context of of you know the Falwell family and the school and the movement, and you know the fact that you know you sort of touched on that. And if people think we're being unfair, uh, singling out. Um, the South, quote unquote, for for association with like racist practices related to religion. I will remind everybody that uh, it was the Southern Baptist Convention that was formed in 1844, specifically because the Baptist Convention, the Triennial, I believe, Baptist Convention, was not willing to you know recognize slave holding parishioners and preachers the same way you know they had uh, they recognized everybody else. The obvious reason being because slave even back then people who were aware of scripture knew that that owning slaves was kind of at odds with being a christian you know unless i'm wrong here joe well the slavery in the bible is a lot different than chattel slavery because the chattel slavery in america was particularly egregious because like roman slavery was bad in its own way i mean its own special flavor but at least, like, people still had some semblance of being human. Yeah, I, 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 I guess... I guess that is a distinction that I've I've heard made, and that's sort of like a justification that I've heard current racist assholes try to use for, like, oh, that's why it's okay, because it's in the Bible or some shit, you know? Uh, which is obviously bullshit. But, you know, I just, I, I'm just pointing out that there's, like you know, extensive documentation that Southern Baptists were very much aligned with the Confederacy, you know, uh, there was a 1861 referendum saying that like, Hey, we think this is awesome. You know, uh, Basil Manley senior was a, was a uh, Southern Baptist who basically was a religious leader of the Confederacy. You know, he presided over the swearing in of Jefferson Davis, you know, so to suggest that there was no connection between the Southern Baptist uh, convention and, you know, the Confederacy, which was racist as shit. I mean, it's just like you're just you're pretend you're ignoring history. Yeah. I, I just want to say out loud that I'm definitely holding back on, on just the whole slavery and religion and how it's all connected because I think that's a whole series of episodes in and of itself. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, the the it's like the Bible where it doesn't explicitly you know condemn slavery. It's definitely a I mean it's a product of its time. It's written two thousand years ago, right? Slavery was everywhere, and I mean the the Bible does speak a lot about abolition, but also again it's a uh, what the whole book of Philemon is about how. A, it's about a slave who ran away, who's returning a letter from the Apostle Paul as this sl- former slave is returning to his slave master. And it's like, hey, you should like treat this guy as a brother, not as a fucking slave. I mean, and, and to me, that just sort of like goes to my oversimplified, like not really studied uh, religious mind as goes to what Jesus said, which was like, hey, knock that shit off. I mean, that's basically what wrong. he said, right? Knock that shit off, right? That's what he said about everything. (laughs) (laughs) The Bible summarized pretty badly is just don't be a dick. Yeah, you know, it's just, anyways. It's the golden rule, right? Right, right. But then, oh, treat others as you want to treat, you know, as you want others to treat you, right? Mm -hmm. 
So, so I guess that means that uh, the Dr. Reverend Jerry Falwell Sr. wants everybody to treat him like he's a pariah, because that's exactly what he did to basically anyone who didn't look like him. Yep, pretty much. So, so the the uh, Reverend Jerry Falwell Sr., as Joe kind of touched on, uh, was a Baptist evangelist. Uh, evangelist preacher from Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, presided over the Thomas Road Baptist Church, which was a mega church. Okay, so we're going to be focusing on a talk he gave at UCLA in 1983. Okay, but just I want to be clear here, right? Um, Falwell was wealthy and powerful in his own circle way before the rise of the religious of the new right. Okay, just want to be clear on that. This dude reportedly could raise a million dollars a month with his letters, okay? And I actually have one of them right here, and I'll, I'll read a part of it. It's, it's very um, demonstrative of his values. Um, Falwell's uh, family, as Joe said, founded a school known today as Liberty University, um, a favorite school of non-college graduate Charlie Kirk, by the way. He, he loves Liberty University. Um, and he was also one of the founders, not Charlie Kirk, Jerry Falwell Sr., of the Moral Majority, a conservative Christian lobbying group, uh, which was in operation from 79 to 1989 when it was officially dissolved. And for those of you listening who don't understand why that was so important, up until that point, which we discussed in prior episodes, you know, evangelists and most religious people thought of politics as dirty. They would never officially lend their name, their power and their influence to something that was considered, you know, apart from them. I mean, I, I, I don't know, Joe, is it because they thought they were better than that or, or it would corrupt them or what, what, what was the, what was the idea? Uh, I mean, who really knows? But I feel like it's kind of like uh, the it might you know the corrupting power you know kind of thing. I'm not too sure on that. Fuck it, nobody knows. So, with regard to the moral majority, you know, they uh, as a group they tried to say that they were primarily concerned with opposing Roe v. Wade. You know, the decision that struck down a Texas uh, law that outlawed abortion, except in cases of a doctor's orders uh, to save a woman's life. Uh, in effect, what that decision ended up doing was allowed abortion, at least, I believe, up to 24 weeks without need of, like, a doctor saying it's okay, right? Uh, under under the auspices of, you know, protection under the 14th Amendment and person's right to privacy. Or I should say a woman's right to privacy, excuse me. Now, here's the problem with that narrative. Um, Roe was decided in 1973. That was six years before the moral majority was founded. All right. And it's well established that the true aim of this group was to preserve the (laughs) right, the religious freedom of Christian schools to segregate based on race. Okay, I'll I will link some articles in the show notes. It's just like it's not even disputed at this point. Uh, the moral majority's platform included focusing on the traditional family and bringing voluntary prayer back to public schools. Okay. Uh, oh, also, they were really big on U.S.-sponsored violence around the world in the name of fighting communism, because apparently if you're a brown person from Central and South America, your life isn't precious. So that's... Well, the idea was that the communists were all atheists, and we know that, you know, God is in capitalism. So that's why it says, in God we trust on our money. That's an important little tidbit. I don't think I've ever heard that before. What, that they were into uh, supporting proxy wars? No, that communists were atheists. Were, there oh, was it, like this. it's all codes, dude. It's, it's all codes. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was their big thing. I mean, officially, officially, their government, you know, atheist, and that was that was the big thing. That was the big scare. That was why the Red Scare, which led to the you know uh, the Lavender Scare, which led to well, what we're talking about. So, real quick, like I said, we're going to be. Um, looking at a speech and a Q&A session given by Jerry Falwell at UCLA on November 29th, 1983, all right? Just to set the tone, Reagan is well into his first term, right? And many credited the moral majority uh, and their ilk with sweeping Ronnie into the White House. I mean, there's an argument to be made that that's, yeah, you could give, you could lay that victory directly at their feet. I'll give them that one. Um, and I apologize in advance for the audio guys. Uh, the, uh, it's, it's going to be kind of plus minus. So, um, so we're just going to dive right in. All right. So we're going to start with Falwell's, uh, introduction where, uh, he sets the ground rules for the evening, right. And then sets the tone even more so by doing what he loves to do, which is, uh, quoting a dead white man. I'll begin by making a deal. I'll speak 30 minutes uninterrupted and you'll have 30 minutes to say anything you please uninterrupted and let's have an hour together let's have an hour together in which we hear several points of view with respect for everyone that's one of the defenders of the first amendment now I First of all, I want to say that I believe America is on the threshold of a moral and spiritual rebirth which will portend for the future a greater America than we have known in the past. America is 200 years old, 207 years old. But nearly 200 years ago, when the Constitutional Convention had completed its work, a dear lady sidled up to Benjamin Franklin and asked him the question, Well, Dr. Franklin, what have you given us? Dr. Franklin turned to her and said, You have a republic, madam, if you can keep it. And so it was after thousands of years of human history, abortive efforts, wrong turns, tyranny, anarchy, etc., man had finally made a true beginning in human government, namely this one nation under God, the great American republic. (laughs) Uh, finally began, huh, Jay? I know that that almost sounded Mormon, like, uh, <laughs> in in the sense that, like, okay, just fuck Europe, uh, fuck Africa, fuck <laughs> Asia, like, you know, nothing they've done for the past five thousand years has mattered. <laughs> yeah, no, no, none of that shit counts, you know. Uh, the invention of you know democracy. Uh, mathematics, the beginnings of science. I... Oh yeah, the the Greeks. <laughs> you know the whole thing. This is all. They're all just abortive efforts. <laughs> They're all just abortive efforts. Yeah, right. Yeah, abort. Oh, abortive efforts. Yeah, I love how he snuck that one in. I think he did that. I think that word was a conscious choice, right there, considering what's coming. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, just real quick, you know, for starters, you know, Falwell declaring that deal with the audience, right? He's declaring that deal from a microphone and a and a podium. I didn't know that's how deals got made. You know, you just stand up and imperiously tell everyone what the fuck, how this is going to go. You know? Well, well, yeah. Didn't you learn from Michael Scott? That's how it works <laughs> when he declares bankruptcy. 
<laughs> oh God, Michael Scott for president, twenty twenty four. Um, I just find it really funny though how like a lot of these like Christian evangelicals, first of all, quote non Christian you know white men for their justifications for things right yeah benjamin franklin was a deist you know and at best at, yeah at i mean best. at worst he was more of like an atheist closer to thomas Paine. you know i mean but that's it that's an inconvenient truth you know um i did not mean to reference uh, al gore there my bad <laughs> um but as far as like you know making this declaration to the crowd in the form of like we're going to make a deal. You know, I suspect this is something that Falwell did a lot, you know, um, in mixed crowds like this one, because I know he knows he's going to catch boos. He knows he's going to catch booing and hissing, which we will hear. Um, and then when that happens, he gets to act like there was some type of an agreement and his opponents are breaking it. Right. So he comes out as noble and shit, which is like a thing that he does constantly. Um, secondly, uh, that Benjamin Franklin quote, uh, politicians fucking love using this one when they want to accuse their opponents, uh, political opponents of overstepping, right? Uh, when Trump was impeached the first time, you know, some form of that quote was used, uh, by multiple politicians on the house floor during debate, right? So, uh, you know, so far as history, uh, historians can tell, by the way, uh, Franklin probably said something like this, right? But there's actually an extended version of that account, uh, according to Jillian Brockell, uh, who wrote for the Post, right? So you got that first part that everybody loves, where right? It's just like, you know, what do we have? And, you know, Benjamin Franklin says, you know, a republic if you can keep it, right? And in the original writing uh, of this sort of anecdote in 1803, um, that woman's response to that, comment from franklin was and why not keep it and franklin responded because the people on tasting the dish are always disposed to eat more of it than does them good yeah doesn't even make any fucking sense now right i mean it's kind of like the whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of comment yeah i i i you know context needed here like it doesn't sound as good as like that ominous a republic if you can keep it you know so, but that, that's, that's, that's Falwell. That's his, his thing. Not as clear cut. And he takes things out of context. He takes things out of context and then he accuses you of taking him out of context. Cause keep in mind, this speech was 1983. This was pre-internet. So people couldn't just pull out the iPhone and be like, no, I, I, I looked it up, but we'll get to that later. Um, and then that last part, right? Uh, Falwell is declaring that the United States is the first example of a good human government. You know, following from his premise that it was founded as a Christian nation. You know, it's kind of implied there, right? So I think that's really what he was getting at. It's like, I think we were all a little confused. It's just like, so the rest of human history doesn't count. I think what he's saying is it's the first Christian nation of its kind, so to speak. And that makes it the beginning of everything good. I just, there is, uh, how many crusades were there? Three? <laughs> yeah, the but crusade, none of those nations were democracies. Those were all monarchies. Ah, okay. This is okay. the first Christian democracy. No, 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 sir. A Christian republic, right? Oh, forgive me. Yes, yes. <laughs> you, you, yes. What kind, what kind of Kinzinger Republican are you, sir? All right. <laughs> oh, God. I don't even like Ken Zinger. Why am I siding with him? Whatever. Um, 
So anyways, where were we? So, you know, we, we move, we move on and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going to segment Falwell's sort of opening remarks. Right. And, you know, now we move on to, uh, to Falwell, who is just going to keep going with building the foundation of the myth of Christian nationalism in America. And he does this by ignoring things in human history like slavery and systemic misogyny. And so the Founding Fathers gave us a republic, not a theocracy, not a a monarchy, not collectivism or communism, but they gave us a republic, namely a government of laws, not of men. When this magnificent constitution uh, was completed, they had set down certain ground rules. Ground rule one was that the rights of minorities should never be denied and should always be protected. Ground rule number two was that the rights of the majority should be upheld but not permitted to be destructive to the rights of minorities. And finally, ground rule three provided a means by which the Constitution could be changed but not by wanton revision or by capricious acts. And so these eminently practical founding fathers gave to us a nearly foolproof system of checks and balances that has for some 200 years done us quite well done us quite well you know i suppose that would depend on the definition of us wouldn't it you know Um, absolutely because this minority he's speaking of uh, i want to know where it was in the 1700s when (laughs) certain people were only considered three-fifths of a human yeah and that was the minority speaking of as women yeah oh yeah and 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 as far as the three-fifths go that was only a technicality because they wanted more representation in congress you know oh yeah that, that I mean, did they get three-fifths of their civil rights? You know, I, I think not, you know. And speaking on that, Jay, uh, for example, um, this limited definition of us, right? Uh, the Equal Justice Initiative estimates that roughly 6,500 Americans were lynched between 1865 and 1950. And that's a conservative estimate, people, all right? Um And during that whole time, by the way, all attempts to create a federal anti-lynching law were met with heavy opposition never successful so far as i know all right so the i don't know how those 6500 murdered people would feel about the concept of us uh, with regard to you know the system doing them quite well and you're just talking about uh a majority of african americans uh there's still this fun thing called the trail of tears (laughs) uh Mm mm-hmm there's still the the whole western part of our nation. The railroads were built by a certain minority group of people. <laughs> like, there's just so much. That come on, just... man! Manifest destiny. God, <laughs> God destined us to take that from these people. <laughs> okay, and, and subjugate them. <laughs> hold on, and, hold on, and, Joe, and murder them. You know, it's for their good. Hold you on, know? Joe. It's, it's, it's know your place. Know your place. No one speaking on this podcast was included in that fucking destiny. At least in terms of having power. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, you're for sure. Let's on not. That. Let's be clear on that. Let's not kid ourselves. The Monroe Doctrine wasn't for our benefit. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, does uh, done us quite well indeed. You know. And, you know, I, I heard that that other phrase that he, he said, you know, a government of laws, not of men. And the translation I hear there is, you know, these laws, they're sacred. You know what I mean? A government of laws, not of men. Men are fallible, but the law is the law, you know? And even, then he, even though he contradicts himself by pointing out that they leave open in a way for, thank, 
thank God, uh, that the uh, Constitution could be amended. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, as written, I mean, it, obviously history shows that was untenable for reasons that were clear. Yeah, but in these guys' eyes, remember, the the law is considered something set in stone. Their, their image of the law is the Ten Commandments. Their image of the law is the Old Testament. It's Leviticus. It's Deuteronomy. It's all the, you know, the cleanliness laws and the dietary laws and all that. Some of which are okay. It's okay to be broken because they're old. It's okay, <laughs> you know. So we can pick and choose those ones, but... You know, obviously these other these other ones that are only ever spoken of in these, you know, these sections of these books. No, we have to go full out on those. Yeah, I I, I don't I, I don't understand how they can square that type of that amount of cognitive dissonance. I just don't get it. Um, oh, and that, and by the way, that nearly foolproof system of checks and balances remark. Y'all remember that? So so okay, you. At first glance, I was thinking to myself, like, okay, he's talking about slavery probably because that's a hard... Okay, here's the thing. That's a hard one to square if you're trying to say that the foundation of the nation was Christian and it was great and all that. Um, you need to leave yourself an out because if you don't, then you're saying that slavery was awesome because it was present and codified into law at the beginning of, you know, our nation, right? That's what I thought he was saying. But I have a feeling that... What he's really talking about, he's alluding to a certain Supreme Court decision that came down a few months prior to this speech, okay? Because this is happening in November of 1983. In May of 1983, the Supreme Court uh, brought down a decision in Bob Jones University versus the United States. Uh, Jay, are you familiar with the case of Bob Jones University? No, actually, or at least not on the surface. Yeah, it it's it's quite fascinating, actually. Um, J- Joe, do do are you somewhat familiar with this? Yeah, it's kind of like the textbook case of like this was what the segregation schools were trying to avoid because they were just blatant about it, and that's why they got sued. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, to put it quite simply, they were as Joe said, they were a school that was created. Uh, well, they operated in spite of the Brown v. Board of Education decision, among other things. Um, And uh, let's see, that was decided uh, on May 24th of 83. Basically, Bob Jones University um, had held tax-exempt status, right, as a religious college up until 1970, all right? Uh, In 1970, the IRS revoked that exemption because it refused to admit black students, Okay, among, among other things, right? There were, there, it's not, I'm oversimplifying, but basically they were engaged in de facto segregation, all right? So, fun fact, actually, uh, Reagan actually tried to use his power as president to sort of overrule the IRS in 1982, right? Saying that the IRS would no longer deny tax-exempt status, right, based on this type of violation. But then the 1983 decision came down, and that basically shut him down completely. Right. Which in part, by the way, is why Reagan scrambled so hard for evangelical support in the 84 election, because he was back on his heels because he was, you know, they were expecting him to come up with a, um, a federal amendment or to recommend a federal amendment uh, that would basically codify into law de facto segregation so that religious schools could get around this. Say, but he never did because obviously no one was going to go for that. But he still had to sell them that he was trying. Uh, thankfully, it never came to pass. 
So yeah, that was pretty much Bob Jones. Oh, by the way, fun fact about Bob Jones University. Uh, they had a rule against interracial dating among their students. Um, and although the uh, thing about de facto segregation in general was settled pretty much in the 70s, or I should say in 82, um, the, uh, the rule against interracial dating, that wasn't actually lifted until the year 2000. So technically speaking, I don't know Is if anybody was only at the school. Like, how do they know? I so I that's the thing. I don't know if they actively enforced it, but it's kind of mm. like one of those things where it's like there's an old law in the book and nobody cares enough to actually get rid of it until like much, much later. Like there were mm-hmm. some states that didn't ratify the 14th Amendment until like decades after it fucking passed, you know? Well, I mean, speaking of segregation, wasn't there a high school in Alabama that was segregated up until like 2016 or something like that Ooh, that's i'm gonna see if i can look yeah. that up while you continue to talk yeah 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 that's oh that's yeah no fucked but up. the reason why they keep these old rules on the books is so they can get rid of anybody that they don't like that's technically breaking these you know arcane rules that's why yep. I mean, we have that's why the u.s still has some arcane laws on the books it's just that way we can throw it at them if we need to land of opportunity indeed people yeah opportunity to tell you to get the fuck out so don't worry you'll have the opportunity to go to prison too oh you know it so uh but until then while uh jay is doing some some on the fly research for us uh next up we've got uh what do we got here yes so we've got uh falwell introduces a certain term okay that was invented out of whole cloth in the mid early ish 20th century known as judeo-christian they gave us the executive branch which uh, represented by our president, our vice president. He, they gave us the legislative... Sorry, let me back up a little there. Got ahead of myself. While, while you're queuing that back up, it was actually Cleveland High School in Mississippi that was desegregated in 2016. Cleveland, which, which high school? Uh, Cleveland High School in Cleveland, Mississippi. Oh, Cleveland, Mississippi. I was about to say Cleveland, Ohio? No fucking way. No shit. They were officially segregated until 2016? Yep. um, I'm putting multiple sources here. Because like I said, I like to prove myself wrong. So Okay, there we go. Yeah, I'll throw those in the show notes. That is fucked up. So, here we go. Here's the next one. Yes. So, Falwell, as I said, uh, Falwell introduces a uh, certain term that was invented... Uh, in the mid-early 20th century, uh, known as Judeo-Christian. They gave us the executive branch, which uh, is represented by our president, our vice president. They, they gave us the legislative branch, the Congress, and finally, the judicial branch, with the idea that neither of them should ever become all-powerful. And with that kind of framework and foundation stone, uh, they gave us what we call the Judeo-Christian tradition as a basis, a statute system for government. Judeo-Christian simply means the principles from out of the Old and the New Testament, namely the dignity of human life. And uh, for all of these 200 years, America has given a high value to the preciousness of human life. You know, I just love the idea of Jerry Falwell, uh, because I know what's coming, Uh, talking about the, the dignity of human life, you know. 
it, yeah, it's funny. So you know, you bring up the whole how Judeo Christian values idea was made up like right before this. It's like you know the reason why they use that language is to make it seem like it's older than it actually is. They're like, oh yeah, no, we're hearkening back to this old old way of the way that it's supposed to be done. The Bible says it's supposed to be done. It's like no, it's not. It's not there. Yeah, yeah, no, and and, and Joe, help me out with this one too. I mean, isn't there a contradiction in trying to practice? simultaneously the values of the old and the new testament i mean as far as i know the old testament is god putting people through some shit like the book of job you know so the old testament is a is complex because it's you know a mix you gotta think of of the bible more like rather than a single book more like a library of books right because it's written over a period of like three or four thousand years it's it's yeah Uh, a lot of different genres uh but the the idea of like the law that's really what he's leaning on right now is the idea of the law in the old testament jesus was supposed to have fulfilled that so we we're supposed to be freed from the law right so i don't i don't i don't know what his whole thing about you know oh yeah well because this is why we have to hold on to the old testament stuff that's all bullshit. It's, I mean, it probably has, like you said, it gives them an air of legitimacy. Yeah, I think we're all kind of getting a feel for Jerry Falwell at this point. He's setting the table. He's laying the foundation for like, you know, this is a th- th- this is an old thing that I'm talking about. This is a Christian nation and all this stuff. And, you know, it's good. And the United States is a Christian nation. But I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit here, all right? Because most of the most of what comes next in this speech is, yeah, Fowell, he's he's mostly sort of cherry picking stats about divorce and children reading Bibles more often, and I don't really care, right? Um, you know, the things that uh, apparently support his assertion that his side is winning in this battle for the soul of America, he derives them from like stats that he just pulls out of thin air, and I'll. I, again, I don't care. Even if the even if the numbers are right, I don't give a shit, right? So Falwell keeps up that tack, right? And then he reads a passage from the diary of Christopher Columbus, all right, wherein Columbus claims God inspired him to make the journey to uh, the Americas, right? Uh, and Falwell, like other Christian nationalists, like to include this passage, right, uh, as proof positive of the Christian foundation of what became the modern United States, right? Now, I, I I won't bore everybody with this passage. It's just like Christopher Columbus being like, you know, oh, you know, I read the Old Testament and, you know, it I was divinely inspired to make the journey and I knew I could do it and blah, 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 blah. But all I see are the supposed writings of one man who committed and or enabled theft, rape, murder, and enslavement, which led to a genocide. So fuck his dear diary entry. And, uh, I mean, who, yeah, who cares? Christopher Columbus is... is- like just basically because he's a familiar name to people so it's like oh yeah let's let's harken back to this you know yeah of course Christopher Columbus was a terrible fucking person but it it's more of that whitewashing and that not no one understanding the actual history of what actually happened all they understand is oh yeah Christopher Columbus you know, he was around the time of the pilgrims, right? <laughs> you know, the pilgrims, the, the Indians were friendly to them, right? <laughs> they, they, they gave them corn and taught them how to survive the winter, right? And it's like, no, you you poor child. I'm also surprised. I mean, I guess they're pretty much the same, but wasn't Columbus Catholic? 
not of this Judeo-Christian. Yeah, yeah. The Catholics <laughs> didn't want him either. Yeah, I mean, if he, I mean, yeah, if he was, then also he wasn't even technically uh, Italian. Italy as a nation didn't even exist back then. He was from Genoa. You know, had its own culture and language. Just for the record, I'm part Italian, but I'm going to throw that one out there. Wikipedia is saying he's a Christian millennialist and apocalyptist. I, I don't even know that. Uh, I guess no one knows because it's fucking 1400s, so we don't know what he no, really well, was. M- m- millennialist just refers to how he views the end times. Oh, really? Mm. I, somehow, I bet it favors him because. There's millennialism, amillennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism. Basically, it refers to when they believe that Jesus is going to return to the earth and that the earth was going to be made new again. Oh, so he, he believed in Y2K all the way from the 1400s? <laughs> Not that kind of millennial. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just making the joke. You know, you know if he, I'll tell you what, if he did, though, I mean... I don't know. I don't know, man. That 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 fucking guy. No, seriously though, Y2K was a thing that like a lot of people were freaking out that it's like this is going to be the beginning of the just because of the word millennium and people are fucking stupid. There were religious suicides if memory serves, at least a handful of them. Yep. I yep. just oh god. I circle back to we need to get these people some mental health care, man. Jesus. Honestly, Ugh. I'm all for suicide uh under these pretenses like like if if you feel like you're not gonna add to the world anymore and you want to help <laughs> us out a little bit like I, I know it doesn't sound very compassionate but at the end of the day like you're just gonna do damage while you're still here so are are we reverting back to like some sort of like weird eugenics kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, no, but self-selecting, I mean, sir. Yeah, so, it's like a self-selecting. Gotcha. I, I would never push someone to go do that. But at the same time, I can understand if someone really reaches that point and wants to help themselves out. It's almost like when people get old and, and find out they have cancer. And you, what you're saying is you would not step in the way of them walking off the ledge. Uh, not if they're not harming anyone in the process. And, and, and I agree like with that sentiment with one caveat is that as long as it's a thing that they're choosing from themselves and not like, oh, Jim Jones told me oh, to drink this Kool-Aid. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's completely where I'm coming from. Like, yeah, I don't uh, I don't want the grifters <laughs> to, to, or the Jim Jones. There's a difference the, between suicide and murder because, yeah, yeah that, that's still, even though Jim Jones died, that's still homicide. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, super, super homicide, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, that's like, if speaking of Jim Jones, it's like when I think of people referring to Christopher Columbus's diary entry, it's just like, okay, so what if Jim Jones had a diary entry talking about what he intended? I don't care. I don't care. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when people talk about, oh, the founding fathers wanted this. I'm like, dude, a lot of them own slaves. I don't care. They're not infallible. Why do you keep bringing them up? You know, it's anyways. Yeah. So 
you know, uh, we're 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 gonna move right along, you know, because because uh, he really does repeat himself a lot, or he doesn't repeat himself, but he uses the same shtick. He'll come up with like an old like dead white man to quote, or he'll come up with he'll cherry pick stats and he'll use that to reinforce the idea that we're a Christian nation, and it gets old and repetitive, and I don't want to indulge in it too much. But before we move on uh, towards the Q and A session, right, which is probably more fun to listen to um i want to look at two other examples real quick of falwell's quote-unquote evidence that the united states was uh, founded on christian principles and it's rather strange that we have extracted from textbooks in our public schools today any mention of the religious heritage of this nation a nation founded upon those principles that have done us in good stead for these two centuries In 1606, the first charter of Virginia was written, and the following excerpt comes from that charter. We greatly commending and graciously accepting of their desires for the furtherance of so noble a work, which may by the providence of Almighty God hereafter tend to the glory of His divine majesty. And here's why they said we came here in the propagating of Christian religion to such people as yet live in darkness and miserable ignorance of the true knowledge and worship of God. Thirty-seven years later, the New England Confederation was written, May 19, 1643, in which they said, Whereas we all came into these parts of America with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity with peace. Now that is just some of the clear evidence that we are, unlike the Soviet Union, unlike Red China, unlike many nations of the world, not a secular nation. We were not intended to be just another nation in the family of nations, but a nation of liberty and freedom and a nation in which the Judeo-Christian tradition is prevalent and prominent. I reject his premise and also his conclusion. I'm also surprised he didn't say like you know the big hit of that the per, uh, that the Puritans came over because they were persecuted. Yeah, because but- you know the per, the persecution that they were facing and the reason why they came over was because they couldn't be assholes to everybody else over in England. <laughs> they got sick of their shit, so they sent them to America. Yeah, and he kind of skips over the whole religious freedom parts of the Constitution. Uh, I guess just trying to promote his own agenda well you know and it's funny too because joe you kind of touched on this uh on a previous episode falwell does talk about this the idea that it works one way that you know the correct interpretation of the constitution is not that you know there is a wall between church and state but that church influences state but state can't influence the church you know which is convenient when you make (laughs) millions of dollars as a preacher it's very convenient. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And so convenient that they need to make sure that it stays untaxed. Goddamn right. You know, God doesn't want you to be taxed, you know? So, yeah. And, and the whole, so those two examples are actually really funny because I feel like at this point he's sort of abusing the audience because he's a, and again, this is 1983. No one has an iPhone, right? If they did have an iPhone, they could just Google those two documents like I did, Right. So, the Virginia Charter of 1606, right? 
um, that passage that he he's quoting from, that's kind of like a parenthesis. Okay, that whole thing is it, it is it, it's like the one thing that doesn't make sense, right? The whole document in and of itself is available online. I'll link it in the show notes. And its purpose was to lay grant areas of land to members of the Virginia Company. Okay, that grant was issued by King James the First of England. All right, it was about making money. First, foremost, and forever. And also in the process, fucking over the indigenous people that were already there. Just to be clear. It's all about the money. You know it. And, you know, honestly, the passage that Falwell reads, it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, right? Because if you read the rest of the document, it's boring as shit. And it's like, you know, Sir So-and-so will have this land at this thing and and bequeath it to Sir So-and-so. And it's stupid, right? Um but if you take into account an earlier part of uh, the, the charter itself, you understand why that seemingly random passage is in there, right? So on the first part of the charter, right, it's stipulated that the settlers can take, uh, if I understand my old-timey English, right, um, the settlers can take for their own purposes any land, uh, among other things, quote, not now actually possessed by any Christian prince or people, okay? Because you got to remember the Spanish were there. or, like, like prince son of a like, king like correct yes oh, yes okay. and, and and so uh, some some monarch some some noble right because mm-hmm. you have to remember now that the the spanish were there in force at this point so mm-hmm. if you take that in combination with the other passage basically what they're saying is as long as no other civilized people already have it you get to have it right because anyone who's not a christian doesn't count Right. Essentially, as long as no other European. Has. I was about to you say civilized. It. You mean Euro, Euro civilized. <laughs> precisely, precisely. So it's like so that little thing. It's just like you know bringing bringing uh, religion and and all that stuff. It, it's just that was just a dodge because that's exactly what they were planning on doing the whole time, which is to fuck over the people who already live there and made use of the land. So that's just him cherry picking a quote that would otherwise highlight you know the earliest phases of British and eventual American imperialism. So that's fun. Uh, as for the second one, the uh, New England Confederation. Do either of you guys even know what that is? Because I didn't. It's It sounds familiar, but no. <laughs> yeah. So, so all, uh, here's the thing. All it is, it was a military alliance among several existing New England colonies against indigenous peoples of the area mm. and the Dutch colony of New Netherland. That, that's literally it. It was short-lived. There, there was nothing noble about it. They were like, okay, they're they're gonna get they're 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 muscling our turf, and they want what we took from them. So we're all gonna sign an agreement to back each other up if it ever comes to that. And you know, like I said, it was short lived. Like all confederacies, you know, the strongest of the group tended to encroach on the weakest, and then you know the agreement falls apart. So, anyways, that's all that is. So that's hardly evidence proof positive of you know this noble idea that we're founding a Christian nation, regardless of what Falwell was telling his audience. Uh, and, you know, also, uh, just to reiterate, as we said, you know, those colonies, right, those were established in areas already occupied by indigenous Americans. Um, so if you want an argument against the claim that the United States was founded and subsequently operate as a Christian nation, you know, just read up on one of our several genocides. We have many to choose from, people. Just, you know, pick one. You know, as Jay said, the Trail of Tears, that's a that's a great place to start, you know? I mean, unless Falwell was suggesting the genocide is a Christian principle. So, 
Maybe he was. Once again, have you heard of the Crusades? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the Crusades were a thing. Unfortunately, they were, you know, but it's okay. I mean, same with the, same with the Hundred Years' War. So, I mean, which was, you know, Protestants genociding Catholics and Catholics genociding uh, Protestants, you know. ABG. That's why Europe doesn't like, that's why Europe doesn't like religion much anymore. Hey, ABG, always be genociding. All right. So, yeah. So, Falwell keeps going. You know, he starts pulling more stats, supporting his position. Things like 96% of Americans believe in God. Um, there's a high majority of Americans polled that want the to allow public schools to include voluntary prayer as a normal course of business. I actually looked that up. There's there's some fact to that, to be fair. You know, that, that pulled really high since, like, the 62 decision to disallow voluntary prayer, right? But um, voluntary is such a leading, uh, <laughs> I guess, adverb. Like, yep. Like it's kind of also, the premise I, of America is to kind of have the freedom to do whatever you want. Sure, if you want to be able to do it, do it. But it doesn't mean that you have to I would, force it. I would love to see how far they're willing to take that. Like, yeah, you know, allow prayer in schools. But if you're going to allow Christian prayer in schools, you got to make sure that there's time for the Muslim students to have their allotted time to pray, you know, or the church and, of Satan. you know, yep. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yep. It's like, if you're going to, if you're going to have the freedom of prayer, you got to have the freedom for everybody to have whatever voluntary prayer they want to, you know, it. and I, and what I could see, like, based on what I know of these people, I could see what they would do is they would barely barely accommodate that but it would turn into like more de facto segregation you know like there's like a there's like a a nice place for christians to practice and then like you know the pagans get get like you know the old field behind the gymnasium you know what i mean with a broken sprinkler the the pagans would probably prefer the old field (laughs) that's true that's true i can't shit it it would all just turn into self-segregation really because i mean obviously you'd have the christians that would run off to to their own but then obviously you know you're going to have a lot of the smaller groups who if if they have the funds available to them to be able to start their own you know, groups or schools or whatever, for, that's going to be more so out of protection than anything else. Yeah, I mean, and you'll be pleased to know, Joe, that Falwell was very much on the record. He was a big fan of your right to self-segregate because that played to his advantage of keeping white people away from everybody else. So it was a big thing with him that we shall demonstrate in just a minute here. Um, so Falwell keeps going with that and, you know, then he starts in on abortion and the Roe decision, right? And he makes a a comparison that made me want to drink very heavily. The Supreme Court in 1972 ruled that the unborn are not human beings. They have no human or fundamental civil rights, not even the right to be born. And as a result, we slaughter them. We inject them with saline solution. We, uh, with suctioned uh, machines, pull them to pieces. And I think it's the national sin of America. It's biological holocaust. And there's a God in heaven who's angry at a society that's not doing something about it. You know, because something happens, because something happens to be legal does not mean it is right. For example, for example, in 1857, the same Supreme Court in the Dred Scott decision ruled that black persons are not human beings and therefore blacks have no fundamental and human and civil rights and they in fact endorsed and legalized slavery. 
Well, I say to you there was a war fought to change that. The first decision was wrong, and the 1973 decision by the same vote, 72, was wrong. And whatever it takes with all the breath that is in moral people in this country, we're going to keep fighting until we change that one, too. Yeah, yeah. So, Falwell, um, through, you know, he's he's basically trying to claim the fight to end chattel slavery as a victory in his camp. And once again, I want to point out that the Southern Baptist Convention was very much in favor of seceding from the Union. Uh, Reverend Basil Manley Sr. was a Southern Baptist preacher who uh, was publicly supportive of slavery, owned slaves, and was a religious leader of the Confederacy. All right. Uh, so go fuck yourself. You know, how seriously, how fucking dare you make that comparison? It, it sounds more and more like, you know, he's he's doing what we see a lot of these other uh, types of quote unquote leaders do, which is just kind of say all the talking points of the time. <laughs> Like, just say what he knows people wants to hear, even though it doesn't make any sense when you really pick it apart and, and string it all together. It just, I like, it's like, oh, okay, you're just saying that because you know <laughs> that you can now say that you're not racist. Or or more like he knows he can't get away with being overtly racist anymore, mm-hmm. you know, or, or a mixture of both, frankly, you know. I mean, he's going to do whatever he needs to do to stay in power. You know, and his power is really it's donations. Let's not kid ourselves. Otherwise, he's just some guy screaming on the street corner. You know what I mean? Exactly. Which is why when segregation can't be his boogeyman anymore, why he switches over to abortion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he gets to pretend like he wasn't the racist asshole that he was for decades, you know? And, you know, also, by the way. Uh, I thought that the Constitution was inspired by Christian principles and therefore cannot or at least should not be changed. So the fact that, you know, slavery was codified into law uh, at it, at its inception, you know, doesn't that mean that we weren't supposed to change it at all? Doesn't that mean that the war shouldn't have happened at all? I, Stop I'm confused. using that big brain of yours, Mr. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can't actually say that because then that definitely means you're a racist. Right. So you got you to couch it with all this other flowery language and be like, yeah, no, I'm not a racist. Look, I got one black friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, he actually makes that argument uh, at one point. You know, somebody challenges him. Doesn't surprise me. Well, somebody challenges him about his support of Bob Jones University, at least in that they should have the religious freedom to do what they've been doing, which is, you know, engage in de facto segregation. And uh, he, he he's just like he, he punts. I'll, you'll hear it later. But basically, his argument is I have a black friend, you know, in the form of Liberty University doesn't overtly engage in those practices which means he doesn't you know without actually answering the question but yeah after that that horrific display uh Falwell he's just bragging right and you know he's talking about how many christian schools there are all the christian programming on tv and radio you know and the implication being that christians a certain type of christians uh are the majority in secret and the u.s is on the way to a great christian awakening you know, which obviously Speaking never happened. Of big brain time. Can we just talk about this concept of a secret majority <laughs> or <laughs> a silent majority or a moral majority? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> well, so 
yeah and 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 so here here here's the thing um it's it's one of like the er the it was their generation's version of fake news because mm-hmm. see the republican party for those of you listening who don't know this around the i want to say like the 60s ish the writing was kind of on the wall that as a political party they were going the way of the dodo they were going to be extinct so they had to like rewrite reality to be like oh oh, we're not really unpopular it's just everyone who likes us is afraid to speak out you know because they're more dignified than that you know so in fact you know we don't feel alone because you're part of the majority even if all the empirical evidence says you're definitely not you know fake news that was also around the time when the talking point of oh we're the uh, we're the party of lincoln you know really started coming to fruition as a way to kind of help cover up their their old racist you know ways that we're part of when they were democrat mm-hmm. you know and we're still hearing those those arguments today yeah yep. I, I actually uh and you can edit this out if you want to my, my next suggestion for a topic to dive into would be strom thurmond and his jump from Democrat to Republican and how that kind of changed politics in the sixties. And yeah, cause people love to run on that talking point <laughs> that Republicans were the ones who freed slaves. If you don't shut the fuck up, <laughs> <laughs> like get out of my face. You're an idiot. If you, if you tell me that I immediately <laughs> stop arguing with you and I don't want to hear anything else you have to say. Cause you're an idiot. Well, I, I, I mean, you know, I no, I can't do it. I was gonna try to come up with like a facetious, like, cons- uh, like sarcastic point, but no, I I don't have it. It's it's <laughs> absurd. It's absurd. They 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 people like Candace Owens. They'll say that the Southern switch, the Southern strategy, wasn't real. You know, more fake news. <laughs> Even though I mean, I, look, I'm not gonna play it. Like, if, do yourselves a favor if you guys really want to know the score, just Google Lee Atwater. Right, Lee Atwater, and just just pull up the audio if you've got the stomach for it, and listen to him describe basically what happened. And I, uh, you know, trigger warning: there's a lot of n words with hard r's in that recording, but it's the fucking truth. Okay, that's it. It is what it is. He said it because he knew he would face no consequences, which is the most troubling part. You know that the guy was just like, "Oh, I can talk about this out loud. What are they going to do?" You know. So, uh, you know, now we've come to the Q&A session of the evening, right? Uh, but not before Fowell gets to frame the proceeding, right? In a way that favors him. Shocker. Um, the, uh, the speaker. So he's going to set the tone for exactly how this Q&A is going to go and what to expect. I, I would like to close and give you your shot now. I, I want to say this. It's been my observation that people who have truth on their side are never afraid to allow the other side to be heard. Uh, never. <laughs> it is only when you don't have the facts, as the Texas lawyers say, when you have the facts, you pound on the facts. When you don't have the facts, you pound on the table. And you pound on the speaker. Well, I want you to know that we love you and respect you and honor you, even if you are wrong. We'd like for you to have the privilege... <laughs> We'd like for you now to have the privilege of coming to the microphone, and I promise you, you can say anything you want to say. I won't interrupt you, 
And if I'm smart enough to answer you, I will. And if I'm not, I'll let some of our brethren in the back do it. This guy's such a dick. So he sets the terms with the premise that the truth is on his side, and it, and thus it follows that anyone who disagrees, right, is wrong, which cuts off any good faith arguments like following from that. That's just classic Jerry Falwell. Just anyways, just want to point that out that that's how this is going to go. All right, so. I'm going to play a couple of questions and his answers. Uh, the first one up, um, you know, just an example. Falwell's answers, they're not really answers. And, you know, let me show you what I'm talking about. Reverend Falwell, you have stated that modern universities are run by so-called humanists. The moral majority has stated that, quote, the source of humanism is Satan, unquote. You yourself have stated, quote, Christian schools are the only hopes of training young men and women who will be taking the helm of leadership in every level of society, unquote. First, do you think that UCLA is Satan-inspired? <laughs> and second, what would you suggest should become of a humanistic institution such as UCLA? Well, first of all, first of all, while you have made proper quotes, you've taken all of them out of context. Secondly, secondly, how is that so? UCLA has done pretty well against USC the last uh, three of the last four years, but I, uh, I, uh, I happen to think that a majority of the students at UCLA agree with everything I've said on this platform today, perhaps not in this room, but certainly in the university. And furthermore, although the proponents of moral decency and a return to the Judeo-Christian tradition uh, the proponents are not as noisy, vociferous, and rude. They are quite numerous. And the fact is that across the universities of our land, I have found that a, by every straw poll, no, he's not. <laughs> by every straw poll on these vital issues, uh, the position that uh, we have espoused here today has won that poll. So, Jay, you were talking about the silent majority? There you go. Yeah, and... <laughs> So I'm all for free speech, but this is why you shouldn't give people like Jerry Falwell a platform because <laughs> his followers will just be like, yeah. And then everyone in the room is just angry and nothing's really getting done here. Like you're just giving him a platform to convince more people of the lies he's propagating. So Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's shit posting. He's shit posting in an auditorium, basically, is what he's doing. And you know, keep in mind what he's doing. This is the he's doing the university circuit. He's doing the exact same thing that people do right now. The Charlie Kirks and the Stephen Crowders and somehow the the Nick Fuentes's of the world. I don't know how he manages to get audiences but yeah it, it's the same thing because he gets free publicity off this you know he shows up shit i mean for all i know he had a a speaker's fee to do this you know i would not put it Probably. past him. but i just i find his, his the way he answered that question though very interesting because first of all he acknowledges the comments right so he's like yes i did say that but he invalidates it by saying you know you took it out of context while not allowing the questioner to you know provide context and even when the questioner tried to interject he cut him off right and then you know then he moves on to something completely unrelated about oh well you see our usc has been doing better than usc that's just, just deflection like, he's, 
Exactly. It's just cla- so then that way you you forget about what he was actually asked, and then he never actually answers the questions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. He pretty much did that the entire time. Uh, you know, and not really surprised. No, not at all. You know, and you could hear, like you were saying, Joe, you could actually hear this the the audience member being telling somebody else, like he's not answering me. You know, he's well, and then the, then there's the whole idea of, you know, the silent majority, the reason why it's the silent majority and, you know, and they're the moral majority too. So they are right because they're moral and they don't have to say anything because they're silent. And, you know, it's only the dissenters that are, are loud, which is why you're hearing all of the boos and hisses. You know, it's not because, you know, I'm wrong, but I can just say whatever I want. Oh, we took a straw poll. There's, there's no actual, you know, paper trail or data backing up any of this but i'm just gonna make up statistics and pull them out of my ass mm-hmm. just like any other good speaker yeah yeah Falwell, he just you know and, and you know like you said you know he doesn't mention what the right context of those quotes are you know what i mean uh, so there there's that as well but no matter um that pretty much sums up the entire exchange this goes on for like 30 minutes we could have done each one but it just it gets old pretty pretty fast but you know basically Falwell's answers are all my own words are fake news without context you know and he believes something despite empirical evidence to the contrary the idea that his people are people who's um are sympathetic to his perspective are in the majority but i want to focus on this next exchange because this turned out to be a missed opportunity Okay, so the audience member asks a question about Falwell's shift, right, from the 60s to the 70s, uh, from a position of non-involvement in politics to being heavily involved in politics, right? And he brings up uh, a sermon, and this sermon uh, is what would eventually become the most damage, uh, damaging evidence of Falwell's blatant racism and sort of pretty much torpedoes his legacy as anything other than that. Reverend, my name is James Rogan. First, thank you for coming out today, giving us a chance to hear you. You said in a, in a 1965 sermon, Believing in the Bible as I do, I would find it impossible to stop preaching the pure saving gospel of Jesus Christ and begin doing anything else, including fighting communism or participating in civil rights reforms. I believe that if we spent enough time trying to clean up our churches rather than trying to clean up state and national governments, we would do well. I'm wondering what's caused you to abrogate that position and become more politically active. I'll be glad to answer that. I preached a sermon. The name of that sermon was Ministers and Marches. We printed it, mailed it out, tried to buy it back. Um, we, um, I really had confidence in the early 60s that government would self-correct and that we could, from Washington and the state houses, expect the kind of leadership that would protect the unborn and protect uh, the minorities and and uh, defend against anti-Semitism, etc., etc. It became obvious after the 1973 court ruling, uh, which legalized the murder of the unborn in this country, that something had to be done, and that, as Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And so we have mobilized some 6.5 million active uh, people. I'm going to stop it right there. Also, I know I'm being petty, but Edmund Burke never said or wrote that. That's a common misattribute, uh, misattribution, but he's supposed to be an expert, so fuck him. 
And what year was that? Was that quote originally <laughs> that followed? Because because that because that is very important. Because what was happening in the sixties, right? <laughs> and who was one of the biggest speakers out against or or for the civil rights movement? None other than Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, right. And he what was he using as the basis for a lot of his arguments? The Bible, and you know a lot of actual history. And now that that wasn't in the way anymore you know it's kind of funny how you know when it's black people speaking out against the government or or black ministers speaking out against the government it's all the white ministers who are like we shouldn't be involved in politics but the moment they get assassinated it's like oh we need to be involved in politics as soon as we can and and yeah there's that that was why i perked up i'm like oh this guy is just really just making shit up like like oh <laughs> now my opinions changed and nothing i said before matters like oh yeah <laughs> yep yep and you notice you did you notice there how he pivoted the whole thing back to roe v wade again right he's like he's there's there well there's a there's a good reason for that and and joe you kind of called it so basically here here it is um and this is what i mean when i say that was a missed opportunity by that audience member to really press him on this so that 1965 sermon ministers and marches right it was a document distributed by falwell um and obviously this is pre by a decade and a half the moral majority right um it's widely available online once again i will link it in the show notes but basically it's about 30 uh, almost 30 pages uh it condemns the civil rights movement in general uh and it profiles certain figures of the movement like martin luther king jr uh as a suspected communist okay which was a very popular thing at the time you know to be clear he wasn't alone in this Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus would have been a suspected communist. I, dude, so. Jesus was Jesus was red as fuck. All right? Suspected? He, was, he literally shared all his fish and bread with people. <laughs> right? He made that shit work. Oh, it, it wasn't his. It was a little child who gave it to it him. That, that he then shared amongst everybody. <laughs> oh, so so you see there, Jesus was 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 taking was redistributing the wealth, <laughs> fish wealth. Okay, that's that's the real moral of that allegory. So. Uh, yeah, regarding that sermon, Ministers and Marches, Max Blumenthal actually wrote about this in The Nation uh, in 2007, because I believe that's when Falwell died, right, and talking about his legacy. So quoting from Blumenthal, uh, quote, in a 1964 sermon, Ministers and, and Marches, uh, Falwell attacked King as a communist subversive after questioning the sincerity and intentions of some civil rights leaders, such as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Mr. James Farmer, and others who are known to have left-wing associations. Those are Falwell's words, right? Falwell declared it is very obvious that the communists, as they do in all parts of the world, are taking advantage of a tense situation in our land and exploiting every incident to bring about violence and bloodshed. Uh, Still from Blumenthal, Falwell concluded, Preachers are not called to be politicians, but soul winners. So, yeah. So I'm going to, I actually looked up the, uh, the sermon. All right. And I'm going to read this passage in its entirety, lest I deprive Falwell of his fucking context. All right. So let me just pull that up for you guys real quick. I mean, it doesn't matter how much context you give Falwell. He'll always just 
claim that you're taking him out of context. You can give him his entire fucking sermon. He'll say, well, you took it out of context. Oh, yeah. No, no. Absolutely. And that's really, I mean, that's kind of the main point here. You know what I mean? Is just like, that's what he does. It's what he is. You know? Here we go. Okay. So this is from page one. All right. Quote, at the outset of this message, I do wish to speak frankly about one particular matter. There are, no doubt, many very sincere Christians who have felt a compulsion to join in civil rights efforts across the nation. At the same time, I must personally say that I do question the, uh, the sincerity and nonviolent intentions of some civil rights leaders, such as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Mr. James Farmer, and others, who are known to have left-wing associations. It is very obvious that the communists, as they do in all parts of the world, are taking advantage of a tense situation in our land and are exploiting every incident to bring about violence and bloodshed. But I must repeat that I do believe many sincere persons are participating. I must also say that I believe these demonstrations and marches have done more to damage race relations and to gender hate than to help. So he's, he's definitely both sizing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like it could have been written last summer. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. And by the way, if that's not enough to get a sense of Jerry Falwell from the 50s and 60s, this is more from Blumenthal, right? And this is him in the same article discussing a sermon that was published by Falwell four years after the Brown v. Board of Education decision that theoretically ended segregation, right? From Blumenthal, quote, as with his positions on abortion and homosexuality, the basso profondo preacher's own words on race stand as vivid documents of his legacy. Falwell launched on the warpath against civil rights four years after the Supreme Court's uh, Brown v. Board of Education decision to desegregate public schools with a sermon titled Segregation or Integration Which. Uh, this, and this is Falwell's words. Quote, if Chief Justice Warren and his associates had known God's word and had desired to do the Lord's will, I'm confident that the 1954 decision that uh, would never have been made. Uh, the facilities should be separate. When God has drawn a line of distinction, we should not attempt to cross that line. And then Falwell continues, quote, the true, <laughs> the true Negro does not want integration. He realizes his potential is far better among his own race. He goes on to announce that, quote, that integration, quote, will destroy our race eventually. In one northern city, he warned, a pastor friend of mine tells me that a couple of opposite race live next door to his church as man and wife. Leave it to the white upper class male to tell what other races should do. The I mean, true Negro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, dude. I I, just I wanted to say I that again. I felt so weird um, reading that. I noticed you pausing I, right there. You're like, do I say this? Well, because I'm like, I'm trying to. F <sighs> you know, I, I, mean, I you're quoting. It's it. important. It's important. To, yeah. It's important to put the words there. He said the words. I mean, I mean to be. It's important for yeah to be to be accurate because it's like yes. It should be shocking that a white person said that. Yeah, I, a spiritual leader, no less, who pur purports himself to be a Christian. You know, I... <sighs> Having said all that, right, Falwell, 
right? He keeps rambling about defending the rights of every taxpaying American, by the way. A little jab at undocumented people. Uh, to speak their mind and to be free of oppression, right? And this kind of opens them up to a follow-up question that, you know, taken in consideration of the first part of the answer, right? Further demonstrates his feelings on race. To be clear, so he this is him still answering that first question, right? And he's still rambling, right? But the audience member decides to take him to task a little bit, finally. I support the right of Father Drannan. He and I debate uh, twice a month on CNN, he is out to the left of Andropov on most issues, and he would say I'm to the right of Attila the Hun. But we have, uh, we have some interesting debates, but I would defend his right to do all he does and say all he says, because what I, I believe what is good for the uh, liberal goose is good for the conservative ganda, and every American has free speech rights in this country if we pay taxes. Me Reverend Falwell, excuse me, I'm just a little bit confused now about these freedoms you're talking about. It certainly couldn't be freedom of speech or religion. Any political figure... Anybody in the theological uh, realm who takes a, a position opposing yours is branded as, as an immoral liberal, as a secular humanist. It certainly couldn't be freedom to think or criticize. Is that your any, position? Excuse or? me. Any student, you, the moral majority is in the forefront of trying to censor libraries, textbooks, and some people in the moral majority, some people in the moral majority have taken the position that they support the book burnings that have been going on in other parts of this country. It certainly couldn't be freedom from discrimination, Mr. Falwell, because the, the moral majority has... You, do you have Excuse a question me, or do you I, want to I make let a speech? You answer. Do I you let, have a question or do you want to make a speech? I do have a question. Do you have another question? Well, ask question the question, is, I will my answer My question it. is, how can you say you're against discrimination, right. Mr. Falwell, when I, you have supported to tuition tax credits at Bob Jones University, which overtly discriminates against blacks and minorities all right now may i answer your question so let me just say i like this guy in the audience he didn't let Falwell steamroll him on this one that yeah and, at least that uh he keeps talking about tax paying americans and i just want to know how much taxes i mean they kind of alluded to it but how much taxes his his lovely churches and and uh christian liberty christian academy and liberty university paid well, that's that's the thing is they keep saying that so then that way yeah you know obviously you're not going to suspect them of not paying their taxes <laughs> because they keep railing against the welfare queens and those that don't pay their taxes you know and, and the taxes that they don't pay they they don't pay those because you know they, they get religious exemptions yeah whatever the fuck yeah. You want to yeah exactly yeah. exactly it's, it's, it's intelligent it's, it's charity design. yeah yeah right yeah so. I mean, the guy makes a good fucking point, you know, um, regard. Oh, by the way, regarding book burnings, I, I didn't find anything like in national news from back then about book burnings. But uh, in the early 80s, 82 specifically, several uh, major newspapers were covering attempted book bans. Uh, there was an uptick in that. OK, back then. So specifically, I mean, I never went to one, but in the early 2000s, there was a lot of Harry Potter book burnings. Yeah, it's, well, it was I mean, happening. That's one thing I do remember from Tennessee that the evangelical or, or I guess the people who would follow the Jerry Falwell types would like buy whatever. I don't know. Maybe let's say Danielle Steele or something like that. They, they would buy <laughs> books and go burn them and yell at whoever came by. So. So they would buy the book to burn it to get attention? Yeah, I mean, 
that is a whole other thing. Uh, huh. Just the the fact that they're buying these books just to burn them. It, it was the same thing. This is completely off topic, but with uh, hip hop in the late nineties uh, or in early nineties, they were people would buy the CDs and burn them. Like these same groups would buy the CDs and make a big deal about burning them. <laughs> and all the 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 artists were just like, I don't care what you're doing. You, you gave me money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, burn it. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you see that, that pattern every few years. Like, what? I remember a couple of years ago, like, when Keurig dropped their uh, <sighs> their Hannity sponsorship, <laughs> there was videos of conservatives like smashing uh, their machines. destroying their, their Keurigs. There's the ones that were oh, going yeah. out and buying brand new Keurigs and destroying them. And it's like, you don't understand that you're still giving them money, well, right? Yeah, and, and you know it's funny. It's it's also funny to see them do it the other way. Like when they 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 were like, "We must support Chick Fil A," you know. So everybody who doesn't even <laughs> like chicken, right? Yeah, you know, I don't even like chicken sandwiches, but I want to I want to own the libs, so to speak, you know. So they'll they'll buy a chicken sandwich. Admittedly, Chick Fil A is objectively tasty, but you know whatever. That's Neither here nor there. Uh, there's better chicken sandwiches. Oh yeah, absolutely. Call me a bad Christian. There's better chicken sandwiches out there. I will there. call you a bad chick, uh, bad chicken sandwich. I will call you a bad Christian, but I will agree that there's better, ch- better chicken sandwiches for sure. Yeah, yeah. But with the book bans, you know, um, I did find an article from the New York Times, right, by a guy named Herbert Mitgang. 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 People had cooler names back then. Um, from September of 82. Um, the article pretty much focuses on attempts by the American uh, Library Association, which is a group of like librarians, believe it or not, to counter the trend that was going on at the time. See, basically, uh, people, the, the amount of uh, reports of people trying to get books pulled from public schools and libraries was on a serious uptick. I think there was like 300 cases of this in like 1980. And then in, by 1982, there's like upwards of a thousand. And it was believed at the time that the moral majority and Phil Schlafly's uh, Eagle forum were behind this. Okay. So, but the funny thing here is a quote from that article from one of the opposition group members that sort of reminds me that there's no new arrows in the GOP quiver. Right. Quote, Judith P. Krug, uh, director of the Office of Intellectual Freedom of the American Library Association, said, uh, subquote, an atmosphere conducive to censorship hovers over the country. The majority, or excuse me, the trouble is not simply uh, the present administration's tolerance of censorial groups as the moral majority. It's more than just a cause and effect thing. Rather, I really believe these censors are searching for something unreal. The good old days. It's Alice in Wonderland thinking. Last year, uh, the Moral Majority sent out letters signed by its leader, Jerry Falwell, suggesting that certain books might be inappropriate for some students to check out of libraries. They claim this isn't censorship, but the climate they create surely encourages vigilantism. So what I'm hearing there is make America great again, looking for that version of America that never existed. You know, and we're going to do that by. I mean, they were saying that in the 80s because that was Ronald Reagan's campaign slogan yeah trump did not come up with that yeah you know and it's just like it it, i don't know if it's better or worse the fact that it's recycled you know what i mean i i I mean i i guess better because eventually maybe we'll figure out their tricks so anyways last clip there's always going to be stupid you know it speaking of always going to be stupid last clip let's hear falwell's uh answer to this audience member's question 
Mr. Falwell. First of all, first of all, I cannot speak for Bob Jones University. Mr. Jones said I was the most dangerous man in America, and so I can't speak for Mr. Jones. I have no connection with Bob Jones University. I can't walk on the campus. I didn't say so you I did, will, but I did I say that more majority leaders that were supporting we defended, that position. I, Jerry Falwell, defended not only the right of uh, black Muslims to have only black members and Mormons to preach what they preach, and I, as much as I abhor the Mooney Unification Church, I have defended their right to function in this country because I happen to believe that we must defend the rights of all, even those who are abhorrent to us, if, in fact, we're going to protect our own liberties. Yeah. So, you know, we have the advantage of living in the future. But we all know what galvanized these fuckers was segregation in Christian schools, regardless of what they claim, right? So saying otherwise is a lie, number one, okay? Number two, uh, that second part about supporting people being by themselves and defending their liberty to do so, what we were talking about earlier, right? That just reiterates the fact that Falwell was a diehard segregationist. I'm sure he fucking loves the idea of defending people's rights to be by themselves because that just, you know, legitimizes his, what he wants, which is for everybody, for, you know, white supremacy, Christian nationalism, Christian exceptionalism, and the idea that, you know, white Christians specifically will be a privileged class. And because everybody else wants that, it's a separate but equal thing. You know what I mean? That's, that's, he's showing his cards. That's all he's doing. (sighs) Anyways. That's Jerry Falwell, and I think we can leave it there because I don't think there's really much more to say about the Christian right and Christian nationalism. They were, they, you know, they, whatever else they wanted to say about themselves, they were racist, white supremacist assholes, you know? I I can't make it any clearer than that. Um, I mean, am I missing anything here? Is it... Anybody have any questions about Falwell? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head just a little while ago when you're saying it's like it's the same recycled talking points, the same recycled thing over and over and over again. And when what they truly want falls out of favorability, they switch it over to something else. And yet they still find a way to try to make it about racism. (sighs) Yeah, I think I think we've kind of said it all three episodes like these people are just angry and for christians like i feel like they need jesus <laughs> i feel like they just need <laughs> ironically some ser- and support <laughs> seriously it, at, at, at least if people are going to call themselves christians they need to at least have some sort of biblical literacy and that's one of the things i think that's the lasting legacy of jerry falwell was he just put an entire generation of christians to sleep like oh yeah no i don't need to actually like understand what's what i just need to recycle these talking points and really believe these talking points rather than looking at rather than doing textual criticism on what the Bible actually says and what the historical impacts of those things were. No doubt. And just to be clear, you know, I really truly wish that Jerry Falwell Sr. was still alive because I would love to see his face when he found out the news of his son (laughs) and what he got up to in his ex, in his private life. Uh, 
<laughs> that shit. Jay, are you familiar with Jerry Falwell Jr. scandal? Uh, no. Basic, well, I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but, and who's to say if this is true, it seems plausible that one of his favorite activities was to sit and have a stiff drink and watch the pool boy fuck his wife. Oh, I did hear about that. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. recent. Well, the, the first, what, yeah. what first came out was the picture of him on the yacht with a woman that wasn't his wife with his pants undone. Yep. That's what set off the alarm bells first. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's just like, I would love just to see Jerry Falwell's or Senior's reaction to that picture alone, yeah. let alone to the whole cuckoldry. Or, yeah. You know? it's, but hey, if that's, if that's what works for their relationship, who am I to say what? Yeah, like no judgment to them, but judgment to them for judging other yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Judgment, judgment to them for the, the shit that I know has happened. Like they've kicked people out of their out of that fucking school for just you know for having sex or you know being together overnight. Yeah. Even yeah, like it's it's bullshit. No, exactly. Because it, it's all about the appearance of evil shit that they like to scream about, but then they always want grace for themselves. No, it's like it, Joe. It's like what you were talking about at the beginning of the episode. The projection. You know what I mean? And, and you know, Jay, you, 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 I agree with you 100%. Like, if these were just consenting adults and that's their thing, fine. Don't care. Really mm-hmm. don't. But it's because they've made millions off of judging people for stuff like that. You know, it's just like, go fuck yourself. <sighs> but that... If there's one yeah. thing I could say... <laughs> For if there's one thing, if there's something for people to get out of this series, is when people are when these Christian nationalists are saying something and accusing something of a, someone of doing something, look into what they're really mm-hmm. doing because ninety nine percent of the time it's projection. Yeah, rubber. It's rubber and glue. That's that's all they're doing. You know. And, you know, I think what happened with Jerry Falwell Jr., I think that's a perfect end to the shitty family legacy of the Falwells. Personally. So with that, uh, I think we are going to finally uh, put a cap on this. Uh, you know, I, this is the part where I ask if we learned anything, but I think the point is there's nothing new here. <laughs> That's what we learned that it's, this is an age old story, um, that we'll probably see again constantly, especially, uh, in a couple years from now when people start trying to campaign for the next presidency or or next year when people start trying to campaign for the midterms dude i just i i wish the democrats would figure out that they keep bringing a knife to a gunfight you know i know that's a cliche but it's just like what's all this like what good are the political norms, if I can take a minute, if your opponent doesn't feel like observing them and you never punish them for not observing them, mm-hmm. you know, like with with the Supreme Court justices, that's a great example, that whole saga, you know, of one of you is playing by the rules and the other one is like not. And this is the, the result. The worst part to me is that the common man saw what was happening in slow motion <laughs> And for them uh-huh. to kind of just not react and be like, oh, no, it's not going to happen, blah, blah, blah. It almost makes me feel like they're in on it. <laughs> like, not to be right? a conspiracy theorist, but it's just like, really? Like, we all. They may not be, but their donors definitely are. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. What do I we mean, say not, about not, money? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, God. Well, what do we say about money? Fucking Jerry Falwell made a ton of it. <sighs> Off of bigotry, homophobia, and racism. But he's thankfully dead. <clears throat> All while playing the victim card. You know it. You know it. That snowflake fuck. So... <laughs> Yeah, because we didn't even hit up any of his uh, lawsuits about, you know, uh, against what? Uh, Larry Flint. Hustler Larry and Flint. House. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot to even mention that part. That was the fact that Larry Flint kind of rolled the dice with the First Amendment for all of us by taking it all the way. And then he ends up beating uh, Jerry Falwell in court anyway. That was uh, 88. Yeah, yeah, that was a... That was a that was a good one. Yeah, you know it's funny for all of their bluster. Uh, Jerry Falwell and his ink is his ilk for the most part usually lost in court. That was the that was the fun part there. You know. Also sounds very. Is it familiar. any wonder why they love Trump? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Well, with that, you know, I I think we're gonna get on out of here. Unless anyone has any more final thoughts, or are we very much done with? This Christian nationalism bullshit. I mean, I think we're pretty much done on this. I mean, at least with this this particular fuck. Yeah, we got we got to we got to think of something more fun next week, guys. Seriously, this is <laughs> this is exhausting. I'm all right, all, for it. all right, cool. Well, with that, if no one's else, no one's got any final uh, musings, then uh, that is our show. And we will be back hopefully next week. And again, please follow us on Twitter at Consequence Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Stop Talking Matt. And until next week, everybody keep your heads up. Keep informed on local elections in your area. Maybe make a donation to a local charity. And we will see you next time. Later.